it's kind of what we do every year at this time, and it's just to um, remember and anticipate the coming of Jesus uh, through through an Advent series. And so uh, we kind of pause every year uh, right after Thanksgiving and just kind of journey towards Christmas, just preparing our hearts, preparing our minds um, for not just the, the festivities and all of the things that we look forward to, uh, but to really just kind of recalibrate some things uh, in, in our hearts and in our minds uh, about Christmas. Because we have this tendency, um, many of us, I believe, have this tendency to just kind of click into autopilot uh, in, in these seasons, in these, uh, during these holiday seasons. And it's like we really just don't give a thought to what we're doing sometimes. It's just a lot of repetitious, mundane, traditional things that we, okay, I know i got to do this, this is going to happen, we're going to go here, these people are going to be there, we're going to have this conversation, and here's how it's going to go, and it's just kind of this whole repetition thing that we, we just kind of get into autopilot and we, we just move on that way. Um, and going through, through these motions like this, uh, we tend to forget what the meaning behind all of it is. Uh, and I know, like, you know, I can sit up here and just kind of harp, you got to remember why we're celebrating Christmas, right? And I know everybody understands why we're celebrating Christmas. But the point I'm trying to make is, even when we know how, like, why we're celebrating Christmas, we still tend to just kind of get numb and, and just kind of click it in and just move forward, right, and not really stop and think about it. Um, even like those annual cliches that you hear everybody say, remember the reasons of the season. Like you hear that all the time when, you, when you're coming up on, on Christmas, but then so much so that it becomes mindless, routine traditions. Like, oh, Lord, here we go. We're going to get towards, we're going to get into November, and I'm going to start hearing all the people who were offended say, remember the reason for the season, and it's going to be this thing where it just kind of, like, water off the dust's back, it just kind of rolls off, and we don't even stop and, and consider that. And that's how holiday traditions become these mindless routines, how it happens. Because you just kind of go through the motions over and over and over. And our goal um, each year at this Advent season, at this moment where we stop intentionally, for a series of weeks is to interrupt these mindless routines, to interrupt these mindless traditions with the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. That's our goal. And so that's kind of why we always want to say, hey, let's stop for a minute and let's really, really consider the meaning of Christmas. Let's really, really remember the reason for the season. The reason for the season is mine and your sin, right? The reason for this, for the, the reason for this season is mine and your rebellion. And that's not such a happy, merry Christmas message, is it? Like the fact that Jesus had to, had to come a, a, in the form of a person, be born in a manger, live a life uh, uh, on our behalf, one that we couldn't accomplish ourselves. It, like Christmas is his starting point. It's his trailhead to the cross, right? And so that's the, that's the reason for the season. The reason for the season isn't is that Jesus came and, 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 and he came to give you eternal life. The reason for the season is it was necessary for your sin that he could come and pay the price. Next Christmas, right? I got the, that, that's a, a tough pill to swallow. And so if you paid attention uh, over the last several weeks, our progression through this series has been the, the effect of Christ coming, right? How, how, what does this mean for us? Uh, what happens? In week one, we saw that Trent, uh, he just put a, a light on the fact that Jesus was with Jesus comes this new hope, right? It's not this kind of, Hope like we, uh, our secular understanding of hope, like I wish something would happen, but it's a, it's a sure and steady hope. Like I'm willing to bet my life on it that it, that it's true, and that's what kind of hope Jesus comes to bring us. 
And we saw that in the, in the, in the book of Isaiah chapter 9. He says, the people who walk in darkness, that, that's us, have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone at the coming of Christ. Week two, um, Joey had come with this, this idea that, that as Jesus comes, he also introduces and ushers in this new joy, a real, true, pure joy that we can have in Christ. And we saw that in Luke chapter 2. And the angel said to them when he went to the shepherds, Fear not, for, uh, the, the shepherds in the field, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David the Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And then last week, um, David helped us understand what kind of peace is necessary for us to even come before God. And how that can only be afforded to us in the, the work and the death of Jesus Christ. We saw in Romans chapter 5 last week, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, faith that can only come to us through Jesus, his sacrifice, his coming to us, his living a sinless life, him paying the price on our behalf for our sins. We have been justified by that faith that we can receive. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Without the coming of Jesus Christ, we are not at peace with God. No matter which, no matter which way you try to cut it up and slice it, Without Jesus, you are at war with God. You are, in, you are in a perpetual state of rebellion apart from Christ. And today we're going to conclude this series, our Advent series, with one of the most wonderful promises, I feel like, in, in all of Scripture, that, that those who have put their faith in Jesus, if you have received Jesus, you will spend eternity, all of eternity, with God in this place that is called heaven new heaven and a new earth, and we're going to see about that in Scripture, we're going to look at that in Scripture, and Paul would remind us, like, of our current situation, when we were in Philippians chapter 3, Paul would say in verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven, even though we're here in bodily form, those who belong to Christ, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, you see that anticipation that it creates, that's the anticipation that we're to have in this season of Advent, this, this season of waiting, we're just we're, we're in this moment where we're just anticipating the Lord Jesus coming to us. This is our future home, and this is our future hope, this place that Paul describes for us. And this should make a difference in our lives today. Like today, right now, this, the fact that we would call ourselves Christians, for those of you who have aligned your, your allegiance to Jesus, that you have placed your faith in Him, that you, you belong to God through Jesus Christ, this reality should make a difference today in your life, knowing that you are a citizen of heaven and you are in this perpetual state of, of just anticipating that the Lord Jesus Christ would come back, that he would come again. And that's what Paul was saying in Colossians chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And so today, we're going to jump into this odd place when we're talking about the Christmas season. We're going to be in Revelation today. We're going to be at the very end of the book. We're going to be at Revelation chapter 21 is where we're going to open up today. And so if you want to get there, we'll, we'll be reading some scripture from there shortly. But, but in these chapters, these are the final two chapters, chapter 21 and chapter 22 of Revelation. But in these, these final chapters, it brings to us the end of the apocalypse and to the end of the Bible, basically. 
the end of the story, and it's, it's a fitting conclusion to the, to the historical drama that, that, that of redemption that we, we see in the beginning, in Genesis chapter 1 through 3. Like, this is a fitting conclusion to that drama, that narrative that opened up very, at the very beginning of the book. One of the most wonderful things about the Bible is that the first two chapters of the Bible, the enemy is not there. And the very last two chapters of the Bible, the enemy is not there. That's a wonderful, glorious reality, knowing that at the beginning of our story, he was not there, and at the end of our story, he will not be there. That we won't be at war anymore. We won't be wrestling and enslaved anymore. Recall Genesis chapter 1 and 2, the story, we won't go there, but, but many of you are familiar with the story of how it opens up. You'll find that there's no mention of the ancient serpent. It's just God doing his thing. It's just God speaking everything into being creating everything and then in Revelation chapter 21 and 22 the, the, the last part of the book the last of this story you're not going to find any mention of the enemy you're not going to find any mention of Satan in, that la in those last days because he's not there he's not there Revelation chapter 20 we're not going to be in that verse but you're right there you can just follow along in verse 10 it says the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophets were and they will be tormented day and night forever ever. That's where the enemy stays. That's where the enemy now exists. He's no longer in our story. That's where he belongs. And I'm not going to go into everything that Revelation has to afford us today, and I'm not going to tell you that the end times is coming on this certain day. That's not even the point of the book. Just for all of you, I know probably some of you in the room, you're, you're one of those apocalyptic people, and you're just kind of, you're, you're the end time people, and I'm just going to tell you, I'm not. Like, I'm not going to go there with you because I'm just, it's exhausting for me. When you look at the book of Revelation, one of the things that you need to realize, one of the things that you need to know is it's not some kind of story that's supposed to point to the end. The, the book of Revelation was written to persecuted believers. And it was a book of encouragement to say, hey, here's how the story ends. Persevere because this is how it's going to end. In the last days of your story, the enemy will not be there. The enemy's here today. The enemy's in this world today, and he is seeking someone to kill, to, to take from, and to destroy. But at the end, he won't be there. So be encouraged, church. You're probably wrestling. You're probably suffering. You're probably hurting. You're probably broken. But, but, but persevere, because in the end, we win. The victory is ours. And so to reiterate what we've been trying to point out these past weeks through, as we've been going through Advent, the, the eternal destiny of those who are redeemed, those who belong to Jesus, is so radically different than the eternal destiny of those who don't belong to Jesus. For those of us who belong to Jesus, it, it's like day and night from those who don't belong to Jesus. And that's kind of where we've been all uh, these past several weeks. Only new, glorious things are in the future for those who love God and trust His Son. A new day is coming. That's what's the point of this, these last few chapters of Revelation. Yea, the whole book of Revelation a new day is coming. And a new day is coming. And with this new day comes a new heaven and a new earth. That's what John writes in, in verse 1 and 2 of chapter 21. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming out of the heavens from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So John sees that this new heaven and this new earth, that's how he describes it. Why Why does he describe it that way? Well, because the first heaven is what he says, the first heaven and the first earth have passed away. And so 
Um, we will eventually get to this place where we can kind of break down what this means, but just maybe a, a 30,000 foot view, uh, the way we understand uh, how it's going to be when we are fully redeemed is that this place just isn't going to disappear and it's just going to be this whole new place. What we see all throughout Scripture is a new heaven and a new earth, that God is going to come and He's going to redeem everything that He created. He's not wasting anything. Everything that He created will be made right, it will be made pure, it will be set on the, on the course that He intends it to be. And so that's how it's described. So, so when we sing our song, I'll Fly Away, um, we probably need to rewrite it just a little bit to say and come right back or something like that because the new heaven and the new earth, right? We're, it's, it's, we, we have to be, be careful about what it says there. Um, and so he sees this, that this new heaven and this new earth because the first had, had passed away. And, and this is the final. If you read through the book of Revelation, you see John, he'll start, and I saw like he, when, when he's, when he's uh, getting a vision from heaven, that's how he starts. And I saw this, and I saw that. And, and, and this is the final I saw. This is, the, this is the final one mentioned by him, and it is meant to serve as the high point to all the others. It's meant to like culminate right here. And he sees the descent of his holy city, Jerusalem. She's pure. She's spotless. She's without blemish and character. Do you notice that he's her because it's not just a place, it's a people. He sees the descent of this holy city. She comes down as a wonderful gift of grace from God, and she's prepared as a bride who is adorned for her husband, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. She'll be described in, in greater detail if we were to walk through all the way chapter 21, if we were to walk to the end of chapter 21, she would, she, uh, this new Jerusalem would be described in greater detail, and you can go home and read that. Uh, but the important thing to note is that she is both a place and a people. God's people, as Scripture has, has revealed it, have long awaited for this moment. Have, have long awaited for this moment where everything's going to be set right. That we're going to be made new people. We're going to have a new creation. We're going to have a new heaven and a new earth. And, and I need to probably touch on an important question that may rise up about the new creation because, you know, will God like totally uh, uh, renovate the old uh, creation or will he completely recreate a new creation uh, again? That's not an easy question to answer, but it is answerable. Um, it could be that there's some something of a transformative uh, transformation may, maybe of, of the old order through this destruction uh, and, and of this old order and so I believe that there's a, enough biblical evidence and like I said I'm trying to I want to try to cover it without necessarily ignoring it um, but, but we're not going to dive too deep into it but there's enough biblical evidence to to affirm some type of continuity between the old order and the new order again God's not going to waste things that he's created he's going to redeem things that he's created uh, including us and so what I can say for sure um, is that this this new order, this new world, this new creation uh, is going to be radically better and radically superior to what we know today, what we know now. And that there will be a whole new reality. This whole, whole new reality, a new kind of existence, which, which all of the negatives of the first world will be removed. Think about Genesis chapter 1 again. All of the stain that was introduced in Genesis is going to be wiped away. It's going to be washed away in this new, new order. This, this new heaven and this new earth. And with this new day, this new day that's coming, 
that, that John writes about, this new heaven and this new earth where the coming of this new Jerusalem is coming in. It comes up with a personal um, intimacy and a personal communion with God. That's what we saw in verse 3. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. So what John's trying to show us and what Jesus is speaking through John right now is that, that you, you want to be able to see the intimacy, the close personal relationship and intimacy that God's going to have with his people and that his people is going to have with him. But right now, the only thing that makes that even remotely possible is through Jesus. In the end, he will be with us. He will dwell with us. This is one of the most wonderful promises of the Bible. This is, this is beautiful. It's what the Bible has been pointing through, pointing to throughout all 66 books is this point right here, that God is making a way so that he can dwell with his people, that he can be their God, and they would be his people, and they would dwell together in intimacy and relationship together as, as, as a family. That's, that's what the point is. And so John hears this loud voice, and you hear that throughout the book, over 20 plus times in Revelation, I heard a loud voice come from heaven. That's what he keeps saying. And this voice comes with this divine authority. That's what he's trying to point out. It's like this voice is actually coming from the throne of God. It has authority. It has power. And, and so listen up. And the announcement is God's dwelling place is with man. That's the announcement. This voice comes from heaven, and it comes with authority, and it comes with power. And the announcement is this. God is going to dwell with man. His dwelling place is going to become our dwelling place. He will permanently and forever be among his redeemed people. His glory is going to make its home in and among us. Heaven is going to be this kingdom diversity, a home for all ethnies, all people groups. It will be a beautiful, multicultural, multi-ethnic home for us. There won't be railroad tracks separate one side of town from the other in the kingdom of God. It's going to be this beautiful place. There's not going to be any segregated subdivisions. There's not going to be where the, where the white people and the brown people and the black people live and where the rich people and where the poor people live. That stuff's going away. It's going to be one beautiful place. And it's, it's, it's this foreshadowing that we see early on in the story in Leviticus chapter 26 where God is speaking and he says, I will make my dwelling among you and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you and will be your God and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt that you should not be there in place. And I've broken the bars of your yoke and made you walk erect. This foreshadowing that, that we see in Leviticus here has now been made a permanent reality at the end of the story. This is a permanent reality. This is God is forever tabernacling with his people in the end. And, and, the, and the great promise of this verse, it, it, it only gets better and better. God himself will be their God. Not only do we just get to dwell, but he gets to be our God. We get to be his people. He's going to be with us. He's going to be in our midst as our God. And, and, and on this day, on this, this new day that's coming, all of the sad realities of sin will come untrue. They, they, will, they will be made untrue. He says in verse 4, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things 
have passed away. And I've often referred to this verse uh, as one of the most precious of all scriptures, and, and with good reason, right? I mean, it's just such a beautiful promise that almost I almost always read it at a funeral service because it has so much hope, it has so much reassurance, and, and we need that, right? We need these kinds of promises that this sinful, fallen world has left so many people deep, so many people broken. It's just a sad reality. It hurts. We're all a broken mess. We're all beaten down because of sin. We have given ourselves over and over and over to the things that we think are going to satisfy us. And all they do is hurt us. They harm us. And in the end, all of those sad things, all of those broken things won't be true anymore. The pain that, that sin inflicts on us is overwhelming and it's crushing and it won't happen anymore. And this verse promises us that in eternity, all that causes pain, all that causes sorrow, will be forever taken away. It won't ever exist again. Are you hurting right now? Or is your heart broken right now? It, 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 have you, have you, are you just beaten up right now? Do you feel like you really don't want to take another step right now? Do you not want to try anymore? There will be a day when that's all over. God has given us a beautiful promise in this past. And it, this verse, it will point out some things that, that's also going to be absent from eternity, right? You look at it close. What's not going to be in eternity are tears. There won't be tears in eternity. There won't be death in eternity. There won't be mourning in eternity. There won't be sadness or crying or pain in eternity. Those things are going away. Wiped out forever are the horrible consequences and effects of our sin. Wiped out forever. That's beautiful. That's a beautiful promise. And I think that that's one that should encourage all of us way at the beginning of this book of Revelation chapter 7 it says this to the lamb in verse 17 for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes Isaiah 25 says he will swallow up death forever and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the, the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Like a, like a compassionate parent caring for a suffering child, God's going to wipe away every one of you. He's going to do whatever it takes to come. And he's going to take all the sad, broken, ugly things out of your life. That's what happens on this new day. Death, uh, 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 a prominent speaker passed on now, Pastor Adrian Rogers used to say it like this all the time, death is but a comma for the Christian, not a period. And, 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 and in eternity, all the former things associated with this fallen world that we know it has passed away and they are never coming back. They're never coming back. With this day comes a rest promises of God. We see all these promises of God, and I think for some of us, it creates this anticipation or this, uh, we get stressed out and anxious about it because, well, I'm not really sure if those promises are for me. Will I ever even experience the promises that God has made? And in this case, it says in verse 5 and 6, we can rest assured knowing that those promises are ours. He says this, he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Not just new hopes, 
new peace, new joy. I'm making all things new. Everything that you can touch, see, I'm making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without taste. The one seated on the throne speaks again. He speaks again, and once more his words come to us as a blessing, as a comfort, as an excitement to, to bring joy to his people. And the declaration, you, you, you heard Joey kind of help us understand this just a few weeks ago. When you see that word behold, what it's meant to, for you to do is like stop everything else you're doing and listen up. Nothing is as important than what's fixing to be told to you. So behold signals this special announcement about what's to follow. And so that's what he said. Behold. And what is the declaration? I'm making all things. Nothing is more important in your life right now than for you to pay attention to that announcement, that declaration. I am making all things new. Whatever's busted up, whatever's broken, whatever's messed up in your life, whatever sin or rebellion that you are entrapped in right now, he's undoing it all. He's making all things new. The promises that we just saw in verse 4 are just inkling of all that God's going to do for his people. And if you were just to survey the last two chapters of this book, 21 and 22, if you were just to do a, a quick survey and maybe just kind of put a dot next to a promise that you see, there's, you're going to have at least a dozen dots in your, on your page. That God makes all of these promises, that he's making a new heaven and a new earth, that there will be no more chaos and disorder, that that's going away, that he's going to live with his people personally and forever, that, that the effects of sin are eradicated, that they're done away with. These are all promises that he's given us, all legitimate desires of our hearts. They're all going to be fulfilled in him. That's a promise that he gives us, that our inheritance will be plentiful. It will be permanent. It's not something that's going to be a give or take. That the splendor of this new Jerusalem, this, this new bride coming will be magnificent, that the glory of God is going to shine in every single dark corner of your life. And all the nations, all the people groups will be guided by our God. That we will be one family. Protection, peace will, will have no end. That it will always be there for us. That the earth that will yield its resources, and it's going to be incredible. That we will serve in glad and perfect submission that brings joy to us. These promises, all of them that we see, they're not conditional. They're not potentially true. They're not tentative. They're not just kind of like maybe. John's told this, write it down. Write it down. Etch it so that there will be this little fledgling church of people in Sulphur, Louisiana, thousands of years from now, who's going to understand and see and know this. That's how serious it is. That's how true it is. A new creation. A, a new creation has come, and the Word of God is trustworthy, and the Word of God is true. That's because you write it down, because if you can't trust anything else, you trust it. You can trust it. Write it down. And verse 6 would affirm, it's done. It's finished. It's complete. And like, who has the right to say that? 
who, who in their right mind gets to call something complete, done, finished? But the sovereign God and ruler of this universe. He is the one who declares himself to be the Alpha and the Omega. I was there in the beginning, and I'll be there in the end. I am the beginning and the end. He is the A to the Z. He is the Lord over both ends of history. He is the Lord over both ends of creation and every single thing that is in between. He's Lord over it all. He had the first word in history, and he will have last word. Because he himself is eternal life. He can give us eternal life. We too can have eternal life, and there is no one who has the authority to give that or to take that from us but God himself. And that's what is intended by this beautiful image that, that is given us, this spring of, of water, of the, the water of life without payment. That's, that's the... That's what's intended here. In his gospel account, the Apostle John, he would say this in chapter 7. On the last day of the feast, this is when Jesus was, uh, uh, he was still uh, in the middle of his ministry. He says, this, this was a great day. Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. The point is, if you're thirsty, that there are a whole lot of temporary things that we try to quench our thirst with in this world and it just won't happen that we would have to keep going going back in an old dirty bucket dipping into a well for a water that will not satisfy but it will in Christ forever be satisfied for us and it costs you come gladly paid the price. Jesus has paid it all for us. Satisfied forever and cost nothing. What an incredible picture of God's amazing grace that you can be satisfied forever and it won't cost you. Knowing that He is the sole satisfier of your heart. The, whole, the sole satisfier of all your desires. And then God gives us some some conclusion to these promises that we look through these verses and then he ends it with this contrasting reality. Look in verse 21 verse 7 with me. It says this The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. So he just kind of concludes it with saying hey, for those who belong to Jesus all this is true. Everything that I've promised is true. And then he gives this contrasting reality says but as for the cowardly the faithless the detestable as for murderers the sexually immoral sorcerers idolaters and all liars their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur which is the second death that's not usually a Christmas verse that we go to but it's, it's a biblical thing it's a biblical reality and so I don't know like if you it's like family's in town or you got a friend with you and you said come on to church with me and now the guy's going to stand up here and yell uh, fire and brimstone at you. Not kind of the point, but what, uh, what we see in Scripture here is that here's all the things that God's promised us. And if you squander that, this is all that's left. Do you see how good God is? Do you see how horrible it is without Him? Do you 
see how miserable it is without him? And, and, and eternally miserable without him? And this introduction to the new creation of eternity, it concludes with a word of blessing in verse 7. That's what's going on. It's kind of concluding with that. Here's all the promises. And then, hey, to the one who holds that, the one who conquers, the one who, who is victorious, it's all you. That I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. The blessing for the overcomer who trust in Christ. The warning that we see is for those sinners who are headed to the lake of fire without Christ. It is very plain and very clear that there are those who will be with Christ in eternity and those who will not be with Christ in eternity. That's just the reality and that is all over Scripture. The one who conquers or overcomes is a popular theme in all of John's writings. You see, we just, before we started our Advent series, we, we were in 1 John um, and we were going to try to wrap it up but we couldn't really wrap it up. But what we saw in those verses just a couple of weeks ago in 1 John chapter 5 4 and 5, we saw this. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? With these incredible promises come this promise of eternal life. And now he adds the promise of this gracious heritage. Not just eternal life, but all of this. I will be your God you will be my people throughout all of eternity. We will be the adopted children of a perfect heavenly father. And the children who, who by faith have been adopted into this family are joint heirs with the Son of God himself. That we are, we are co-heirs with Christ. Everything that Christ has, we have. We have this heritage together as one family. And tragically, sadly, this is not the destiny of those who never trust Christ for salvation. And irreversible judgment and justice is all you could expect. Merry Christmas. God provides a selective, not an exhaustive, but a selective list of persons who will not be in heaven. That's what we see in verse 8. Sins that characterize the lives of those who will spend eternity separated from God in what they call the lake of fire who experience the second death. The cowardice is one of those characteristics. The cowardice. These individuals who, because of fear, will not confess Christ openly when confronted with persecution. Remember, that's the theme of this book. That when we're persecuted, when stuff gets hard, whenever it's no longer cool to be a follower of Jesus, when God calls you to a place in this world that Jesus isn't popular like he is here, do you have the courage to stand up and confess him as your Lord and Savior? There will be those who will not. And this will be their eternal, eternal destiny. The cowardice. The faithless, the unbelieving. These are, are those who would deny Christ with their behavior and with their speech. They don't have this heritage. They don't get this heritage through Christ. The abominable or, or detestable is another characteristic 
these, who, these people who are infected by gross acts of idolatry. The kingdom of God does not belong to them. Murderers. These are malicious, savage killers. People who will do whatever it takes to get there. To get one of them. Sexually immoral are those who live sexual lifestyles contrary to the beauty of God's plan and the beauty of God's purpose. Sorcerers are those who have given themselves over to practices of spirit worship, witchcraft, magic. Like these are all the things that you're trying to describe who, who doesn't get this heritage. God's given us a list. Idolaters. These are worshipers of idols and images and things that you wake up in the morning thinking about all the time besides Jesus, right? Like that's the thing. Like whatever the thing is that's keeping you up at night, are you anxious? Are you struggling with anxiety? Hey, it's a real thing. It's a real thing, but I want you to know it comes from a place of idolatry. As, as little control as we sometimes have over it, I'm just here to tell you that it's a struggle that so many of us have, and, and it comes from this place of, of giving myself to these things or trying to find hope in these things and not getting it. I'm not getting it there. Jesus can free you from that. The grace of God is a gift that can free you from that. It's something that I have to preach to myself every single day. But it's a reality. All liars are those who just habitually deceive other people, who live in this perpetual state of not being honest, of, of, of deceit. None of these people will have access to the religion. That's what the scripture says. They will spend eternity in a lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So many wonderful things to be said about eternity. Like, where could we start? And I think a helpful and a hopeful way to think about the new heaven and, and the new earth is to consider the things that won't be there, that won't be present in eternity, things that we will not miss. And it says in the scriptures throughout these two chapters, we no more see. The old heaven, the old earth has passed away and the sea was no more trying to point to is there's no more there's no more chaos and there's no more calamity that's all going to be eradicated there's no going no, to be any more disorder there's no more tears that's what's going to be missing in heaven because hurtful memories will be displayed no more death because more mortality will be swallowed up by life no more mourning no more sadness because sorrow No more crying because the sounds of weeping will be sweet. No more pain. No more thirst. No more wickedness. No more temple. God, the Father and the Son are going to be personally present. Always. There will be no more night because God's glory is going to shine and give us eternal life. No more closed doors. No more closed gates. No more inaccessible places because God's door will always be open, always. And there will be no more curse because Christ's blood has forever been 
Good. And they do worship in Christ. Let's pray together. 